So I'm looking at ESPN.com this morning, and they have their first ever 2024 mock draft up on the site. Carlo, guess who is in the top 10 of said mock draft in 2024? That's not this year, but next year. Any guesses? Well, this is Wembenyama's draft. I don't know who's in the draft next year. So Well, I mean, be? Matas Buzelis is the number one prospect next really? year. I think he's going to be really good. I don't know. Where is he But playing? Bronny James, oh. he plays for the G League Ignite. Bronny James is 10th on Jonathan Giovoni's wow. 2024 NBA mock draft with ESPN. It's amazing how Bronny, who was not really that highly regarded as recently as last year, is all of a sudden shooting up these draft boards. He's playing really well. Um, and maybe, just maybe, he could be a guy that could go in the top 10 of the NBA draft next year. Let's welcome in Sam Quinn, who covers the NBA for CBS Sports. Sam, good morning. How you doing? I'm good. I didn't even realize Bronny was getting mocked in the top 10 now. I mean, I, I'm not a huge draft expert, mind you, but I was from the perspective that he was more or less a second-round prospect. Well, yeah, I guess I guess you the, and me both. <laughs> the, the the nepotism aspect of the NBA is rich in this one, and I don't know how much that has to do with the the ranking of Bronny has to do with LeBron and what he said to the media before, right, Sam? How you know I want to play with my kid at some point, and you know if you're a team drafting in the top ten, let's say I don't know you're San Antonio, you're like oh Bronny eighth overall. I guess LeBron, come on over, league minimum, come yeah. join us here in San Antonio. But I mean, this is a story that is going to be something that is we'll be tracking almost daily, almost like the Wen Ben Yama stuff, right, Sam? Well, you know what? If you think about it from this perspective, how much, like, you're at the trade deadline and you're a team in the playoff race, would you trade your first round pick for LeBron James? The answer is yes, like, unequivocally, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if the top 10 is reasonable because teams picking in the top 10 aren't immediately trying to win. And if you get LeBron at that point, I believe it'll be 39 or 40, he's not going to mean as much to you. But say you're picking, like, number 15. Even if Bronny is a second prospect, if you think we have a chance to really win in the next couple of years, I'd much rather have a 40-year-old LeBron James than any rookie that you could possibly get in that area. So I do think that's going to inflate Bronny's value. But if he's a top-10 prospect now or even, like, a solid first-round prospect, that's going to change the equation a fair bit. If you have the chance to get LeBron James, who right now – is averaging, I believe, 38-7 and seven for the mid-level exception or the minimum because he wants to play with his son, that has so much value both on the court and off the court that, of course, it's going to inflate his value a little bit. Sam, we're going to give you a call right back. Your phone's crackling a little bit. We want to make sure we get you on a crystal clear connection. But this LeBron-Bronny thing is very, very interesting on a number of levels. And what Sam just alluded to, Coco, about the ancillary value of LeBron. Obviously, you wouldn't be paying full market value for LeBron if you bring in Bronny. You might be able to get him at a reduced price. But also, you bring in LeBron James to your franchise with his kid joining your team at the same time. Can you imagine the ticket sales and everything associated with that, the jerseys? But but let's be honest. Like As much as LeBron is hinting at this, 
What if Bronny gets drafted by the Detroit Pistons? <laughs> or, That's a good point. You know, the Charlotte Tor- Hornets. Tor- Toronto? I mean, or I don't the, think Or the Utah team... Jazz, where Ooh, they just Utah. had the All-Star game. Like, is, is LeBron really leaving L.A. to go play with his son? Like, Yeah, that's a good question. Sam, do you think LeBron is truly as dedicated to playing with his kids, so much so that he'd be willing to relocate to Detroit? Well, yes and no. I think if, say, like, hypothetically... Let's say Cleveland were to get Bronny. I think LeBron would go right away and maybe spend multiple years there and like have a real era with that new team. If he goes to a team that's not desirable, like you know Detroit or Indiana or wherever, I think what we might see is, you know what? I'm going to stay with the Lakers, and then I'll wait until what I know is going to be my last year, and then I'll go play one year for them, right? So ultimately, like I think the Lakers are kind of watching this and thinking, I really hope it's Detroit, or I really hope it's San Antonio. Um, it's it's ultimately going to depend, too, right? I mean, what, where is LeBron going to be in his career at that point? We're talking a year and a half from now. If LeBron has a really down year next year and we finally start to see the age, then maybe he rushes it and he says, you know what, it's time, let's go do this right now. If LeBron is still where he is right now a year and a half from then, from from now, he might say, you know what, I still have winning to do, like, Maybe I'll go try to compete for a championship somewhere in 2024. And then 2026, 2027, I'll try to go play with Bronny. And then the other thing we have to think about is he's got the other son, Bryce, who's coming up, who, mm. I mean, it's too early to say with, you know, at this point what kind of prospect he's going to be. But the general consensus seems to be that athletically speaking, Bryce is the better prospect than Bronny. So maybe he waits for the second son. Maybe he tries to play with both. There's a lot on the line here, but ultimately – it's going to depend on how desirable the team that takes Bronny ultimately is. If we didn't think that LeBron owned, LeBron James owned the NBA now, well, when his kids come into the league, he'll definitely own the NBA. Um, Post-All-Star break, it was sort of a quiet day yesterday, but the Atlanta Hawks decided to fire their coach, Nate McMillan, and there's been a lot of speculation over the feud there between McMillan and star player Trey Young. We think this move was sort of sparked by... Trey Young and his unhappiness in in Atlanta right now? I think there's some truth to that. I mean, ultimately, in the modern NBA, this is sort of the cycle that we go, right? It's the player and the coach feud. It's the coach that's going to go. That said, if you watch much of the Hawks this year, they have the least imaginative offense in the entire NBA. It's a lot of your turn, my turn with Murray and Young. You know, they haven't really figured out how to take advantage of all the scoring that they have there. This has sort of been a Nate McMillan problem for 20 years, right? Going especially back to Indiana, but you go back to Portland, you go back to Seattle. He's a defensive coach, and he's, you know, an old-school veteran coach, right? He's not somebody that maybe makes sense with a younger, star-laden team in the modern NBA. He's not a really creative offensive mind. So I do think to some extent, like, this was driven by the fact that he and Young got along because if Trey Young was advocating for him, he'd probably still be the coach. That said, I do think that they needed to do this, and something that I'm keeping an eye on here is that they also turned over most of the front office during the season. You know, Travis Schlank got the, you know, not quite fired, but basically fired with the whole, oh, we're making, moving him into a consulting role. Now it's Landry Fields. Now Nick Ressler, the son of the owner, is really heavily involved. I don't know what direction they're going to go in at this point, but it's a very important year, year and a half for them because DeJounte Murray is going to be a free agent in 2024, and because of some, let's say, broken rules in the CBA, he's basically unextendable between now and then. So 
you'd better convince him that Atlanta's where you want where he wants to be because if he, you don't and twenty twenty four comes and he leaves, now all of a sudden you have Trey Young not much around him and you've given up your picks already. So they've got to figure this out now and I think they probably looked at this and said, We need some momentum before the end of the season. We can't wait until the summer. Our guest is Sam Quinn, who covers the NBA for CBS. Sam, the Toronto Raptors have been a major talking point here in our city for obvious reasons. We're still basking in the afterglow of the 2019 NBA title, although it has been difficult at times this season. But they went into the All-Star break on a little bit of a run. Jakob Pertl looking good. The Raptors were buyers instead of... The sellers, which everybody expected heading into the trade deadline, what are you expecting to see from Toronto over the last 25 games or so of the regular season? You know, Jakob Pertl has been a pretty meaningful addition for them. I mean, I think there were a lot of concerns given the limited shooting on the roster. Oh, is going to ha- be having a traditional center going to cramp the floor a little bit? And what we found thus far is the answer is no, because Jakob Pertl is such a good screener and passer, and you can run so much offense through him in the high post. That said, I was very much of the opinion going into the break that they needed to trade somebody. I don't know who it's going to be. You can argue about that. But the reality here is that Fred Van Vliet, Gary Trent, and Jakob Pertl are all going to be free agents after the season. And then one year later, OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam are going to be free agents. We've heard all this noise about how OG Ananobi might not be happy with his role. But the real problem here is that there's just no way you can afford to keep all those guys and then eventually pay Scotty Barnes and make any other moves. So ultimately, my question for them is, what's the end game? Like, what are you hoping to accomplish by bringing in Jakob Pertl and, you know, making a run at maybe the play-in? Remember a few years ago when they're in Tampa and Masai Ujiri is asked about the play-in, he says, play-in for what? It's such an interesting change in, you know, direction for the team when two years ago they really didn't care about, oh, maybe we'll make a run at the 10th seed, whereas now it's like, they had a real opportunity to jump, maybe not to the top of the Wembenyama race, but right into the thick of things, you know, maybe give up a veteran or two, get another top pick, and try to work your way back in next year. I'm a little confused about what their direction is right now. I don't think you're alone with that with that one, Sam. No but, kidding. I mean, you look at the Raptors, they're four and a half games out of the sixth spot in um, in the Eastern Conference, the Knicks holding the sixth spot. Then you have Miami. They're just four games back of Miami, just a game behind Atlanta for eighth in the East. So, I mean, it's not an outlandish proposition to imagine Toronto could make a little bit of a run here, but I guess it's all about what you really are looking for, right? I mean, the Raptors are not beating Boston or Milwaukee or even Philly or Cleveland here. I think everyone would agree on that. Let's shift our focus to the Western Conference. There was a Pretty big move made by the L.A. Clippers yesterday. They bring in Russell Westbrook, who was waived by Utah. We know Russ and Paul George are tight from their days in Oklahoma City. Do you foresee this working out favorably for the Clippers? No, not at all. Um, (laughs) I think we're on the same page, yeah. I think it's the Arrested Development meme where it's like, does it work for, for some people? No, they delude themselves into thinking it'll work, but it might work for us. Like, how many teams have to make this mistake before we realize that it's just never going to happen, right? I mean, I think the charitable explanation here, maybe a month, of six weeks ago, there was a very clear need on this roster for a guard who could pressure the rim. But since Terrence Mann entered the starting lineup, that really hasn't been an issue. They've been the best offense in the NBA over the past month or so, and lineups with Kawhi, Paul George, and Terrence Mann are just blowing the doors off of people. So I just I have to wonder... 
What do you really hope to gain by adding Russell Westbrook? You're just taking shots out of the hands of better players here. Now, the really interesting thing here is Paul George really advocates for this in public. A couple other Clippers players really advocate for it in public. But if you look at what Lawrence Frank was saying after the trade deadline about wanting to add a guard that couldn't get played off the floor defensively, that could shoot, that's the exact opposite of Russell Westbrook. So I do sort of wonder, like, how did the players convince the Clippers to go for this? Was there some sort of power struggle between, you know, the front office where ultimately Steve Ballmer was swayed? I would love to know how this came to be because over the past three, four years, the Clippers have built their team around the idea that everybody has to shoot and everybody has to defend. Russell Westbrook does neither of those things. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, One player that will probably make his debut for his new team is going to be Kevin Durant coming out of the All-Star break, and that was the big move um, at the trade deadline with the blockbuster of him getting traded to the Phoenix Suns. And, you know, Phoenix not having to give up any of Booker or Ayton or even Chris Ball to do it, with the addition of him and those other three guys, is it championship or bust for the Suns right now? I think when you make a trade of this magnitude for a guy who's Durant's age, you know, for a 34-year-old, you have to have the attitude that it's championship or bust, especially when, like, we can be realistic about this. There was real noise about a Chris Paul trade before they got Durant. Chris Paul is 37. He turned 37 last postseason. He'll be 38 during this postseason. I don't know how many years Chris Paul has left. And if all of a sudden Chris Paul is falling off the face of the earth and you basically just have Durant, Booker, Ayton, with Durant having the injury issues that he's had and having the age issues that he now has, you, you might not have that many chances of this, right? Because you don't have more future first-round picks to trade. You don't have more future cap space to use. This is it. This is the team. You might be able to add a mid-level guy in the offseason. We saw they got Terrence Ross in the buyout market. That's about as far as they can go, right? Like They can supplement this group with you know some buy-low additions, but ultimately, like this is your group, and you're never going to have a better chance than when Durant is 34 and Paul is 38. Because next year he's going to be 35 and Paul's going to be 39. So, I mean, unless you really believe that Booker and Aiton have a level to go, the moment is right now. Now, that being said, who's the fifth best player on this team? Is it Torrey Craig? Is it Terrence Ross? Josh Okogie? I don't have a good answer for you. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be a lot of, you know, who's the fifth guy in this lineup? Who's the weak link that other playoff teams can really pick at? How does the bench survive? I mean, these are real questions. I think anybody who wants to say that Phoenix is the favorite in the West, it's totally viable. I get it. They have the best four, and having the best four is really meaningful. I don't know what their five through eight, five through nine is going to look like. And if that proves problematic in the playoffs, given their limited ability to improve the roster, I would be a little scared for the next few years. Sam, fantastic to have you on the show. Your first appearance Definitely not your last, and uh, we do appreciate you doing this for us. Would love to catch up as the NBA season, the regular season, progresses and comes to a conclusion. He is Sam Quinn from CBS. Thanks, man. Thanks. All right. <laughs> okay. Nice sign-off. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. I like that. Sam Quinn. Yeah. Yeah, that was very, was great. very, very verbose, and all of a sudden, just thanks. Yeah. All right. We love Sam Quinn, though. Uh, follow his work at Sam Quinn. CBS. Okay, it's time for the moment of truth. On the other side, my FanDuel best bets. I spent all night cooking them up because I've let you down lately, people. I have let you down lately, but I'm coming strong with some winners. I'll reveal them next.
Interesting. Very interesting.